Bill, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Doug. How are you? All right. Um, we're going to have a conversation about leadership in your career and, and how you got started in leadership, things like that. Uh, but getting started, tell us a little bit about your background, where you went to school, different places that you've worked uh, for, and uh, the roles that you've worked in. Sure. Yeah, I was um, born and raised in Orlando, Florida, where I still live today. Um, my uh, direct background is in mechanical engineering. I received a bachelor's degree from the University of Central Florida here in Orlando. Uh, and I started off down a, a regular design engineering route. Um, started working with uh, helicopter flight simulators right out of college, uh, but quickly transitioned into the theme park world. So I spent a number of years working for Universal Studios and Walt Disney World in the design side of things. Worked on some really fun projects, got to go overseas, uh, traveled to Osaka, Japan to help open Universal Studios Japan over there, but was mainly on the design side. I was spending a lot of time building machines. Um, and this is really, I mean, we may get into this a little deeper, but I got a real good taste of the whole life cycle of equipment working for some of these small companies that were building big pieces of equipment for these rides. Uh, you know, I would meet with a, an artist or a, an art or something on a sheet of paper. And I would be there from that first meeting all the way to putting the last bolt in on site factory acceptance training, uh, testing site acceptance training, and then teaching and training the mechanics and the operators. So, I was lucky enough to get a real good taste early on about how it's not all about design or it's not all, all about maintenance. It's really the whole life cycle. I was pretty fortunate in that respect. Um, but I spent a number of years at Disney in their safety, quality, uh, maintenance engineering side. We called it sustaining engineering, but it was really maintenance engineering. I was the first line of engineering support for the maintenance organization embedded in the park answering phones, um, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. Uh, it was in 2007 that I was invited to take on a reliability engineering role for one of the parks. I really didn't have a good idea of what it meant, but um, I accepted it anyway. And one of the best things that I think happened, um, and it may have been by accident, I'm not really sure, is they took away my radio, moved my desk, uh, up to where the managers were sitting uh, and pulled me out of the reactive world. And uh, it really gave me the opportunity to focus more on being proactive, which I think is an important part of being a good reliability engineer. Um, but it was at that point that I really developed uh, and found that passion for reliability and uh, started going to all the conferences, started reading everything I could, uh, Ricky Smith and Paul Berenger were huge influences on me. I would scour their websites and ask them all sorts of questions. And they were very, very um, giving in their time and, and knowledge. Um, 2010, got my master's degree in reliability and maintenance engineering from the University of Tennessee. Um, and then it was two years later, in 2012, I decided to go into the consulting world. Um, we can maybe, we'll probably get into a little bit about my reasons for leaving Disney later, but, um, yeah, I, I took on a, a consulting job with lifecycle engineering, spent time with them teaching courses, 
uh, doing big strategic uh, projects with them, small tactical jobs with them, and uh, met a lot of great folks, got to see a lot of great industries, and then uh, developed a, a, a bit of a relationship, a recurring, uh, some recurring work with uh, Pepsi Frito-Lay, and um, ended up taking on a corporate reliability and engineering manager position with them for a few years, and then um, just sort of worked and supported all 30 plus of their manufacturing sites uh, from an engineering and maintenance standpoint, we were on a small team that worked with focus sites, uh, took on small projects here and there, uh, just sort of helping uh, teams come up with uh, best practices and, and things that worked for them. And then uh, January of 2020, <clears throat> I took on a director of facility engineering role back at my alma mater, University of Central Florida. So I led a team there that um, was in charge of the CMMS. Uh, we did facility condition assessments. We also did, I uh, had a planning and scheduling team that worked underneath me as well as an asset management team. And that job unfortunately came to an end in December, 2020, uh, when the department, um, you know, took a, took a pretty big budget hit because of the pandemic. And unfortunately I lost my job, but uh, I'm hoping here in the next couple of weeks to secure something permanent. So hopefully that wasn't too long, but uh, there's a lot to tell, I guess. Well, Bill, I can tell you, I, I know that there's a large part of the world that's trying to snatch you up. I've, I've had a couple discussions myself with, with different people that have said, uh, hey, what about Bill Bartow? Do you think he'd come up uh, to Rochester and look at this job? And I go, you know, he's, he grew up in Orlando and lives there. <laughs> it's, it'd be tough, yeah. <laughs> and once you've been here, it's so, kind of hard to leave, I guess. But uh, if, if we were on video, you would have seen the, the smile that erupted on my face when you told the part about they, they took my radio and gave me a desk. Uh, it, you know, I relate that to uh, the point in time in life where you learn to ride a bike and all of a sudden you have that freedom. You know, yeah. when you've worked in the yeah. maintenance world and you're tied to the telephone or a page or a radio and all of a sudden somebody tells you, said, gives you promotion, they say, okay, we're going to take that away from you. It's like the whole world opens up. Um, but there's that's a whole different that, responsibility that goes with it too, right? Yeah, it, it's funny how those small things that that weren't really a, a deep conscious decision at the time really come back to to work out. It's you know you, you like to think it's all those great big moments where you uh, you know spent the months on the root cause analysis and you really conquered. But for me, it's something as simple as have you know my boss's boss maybe having some wild idea to hey what if we just you know tell him he's not answering those 3 a.m calls and he doesn't have to he's not going to get these emails anymore it, it, i wish i could say it was more well thought out but man those things really do have a big impact on your career okay so bill you, you mentioned a couple mentors when you were going through your career um are there one or two that, that you look back on and say, these are the people that made a difference and, and what were some of the things they taught you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've had, I've had, I've been lucky to have a few, um, some that I worked directly with um, and some that I, I didn't meet till later on in my life. I, I mentioned Paul Berenger and Ricky Smith already, and, and I'm probably leaving a bunch of people out who really helped me out a lot um, when I, took over the reliability engineering role in, in 2007 um, folks that were 
that I was working directly with and, and, and folks that I met through conferences um, I, I, along these lines. And I'll, I'll mention a couple others. I worked for a gentleman named John Marhofer at NTech um, really early in my career. That was a, a, a great individual to work under. Taught me a lot of even the business side of things. Um, Wes Johnson, while I was working at uh, life cycle engineering, uh, I, I did a little stint in business development, really taught me a lot. Um, I've just had some really great people. But, you know, what, what's what's interesting is I'll go back to that 2007 time frame and just mention that unlike other fields and groups, like I mentioned, I worked in quality and safety. There was no other group that I've ever come in contact with that's been as giving and as transparent and free with their knowledge sharing as the reliability community. I just was blown away at the beginning about how I could just drop an email with an Excel spreadsheet and get, you know, feedback back on it. Um, you know, nothing was behind firewalls back then. Uh, not that there's a whole lot of that today, but just there was just such a, a, a feeling of, let's bring everybody up with us. Um, there were, of course, gurus, and there were, of course, you know, some of the, the, the leaders in the community that were driving a lot of things, but uh, it was just such an amazing time, I think, to be going through that where there was just so much learning and so much, you know, transfer of knowledge between individuals. And um, so, I mean, I count all those people, everybody that I went and sat in front of at a, at a workshop or a conference as a as a mentor because i i've learned everything just you know by being there and and uh you know whatever those individuals were willing to give i was willing to take yeah so looking at your career to date what would you say are some of the accomplishments that you've made that you're most proud of yeah so um you know i i think if i go back to maybe my disney days um we, we really had, like I said before, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but the one thing that we did decide was that we would, if, if maintenance engineering was about what happened this weekend, and when I came in on Monday morning, the first thing that I worked on was whatever happened over the weekend, regardless of what the trends were, the long-term uh, position of the ride was I just I worked on Monday morning whatever happened and I worked on Tuesday morning whatever happened on Monday and I worked on Wednesday morning whatever happened on Tuesday to look at longer term trends so I backed up I backed away from the day-to-day -day going ons and um, we picked an attraction we started with Splash Mountain and we said what are some of the big things that are eating our lunch and what are we going to do about them and so um i grabbed as much data as i could started putting together uh trends i started putting together buckets of data uh, what type of failures we were seeing a lot of work around fracas looking at um you know how we were reporting our failures making sure that they were the information that was going in was good but i looked back years and said all right here's some things that are eating our lunch um water level in, per in certain areas of this water-based ride 
We're seeing a lot of failures because we can't control water level. Let's go. What are we going to do about it? And so um, I wasn't an expert on pumps or necessarily even this ride, but um, I've always felt that I've, I've been good at being able to bring folks together and get information and get people thinking about things. So I went and found the Walt Disney World pump guy. He worked in the facility side of things. And, but we sat at the back of the ride uh, for days and talked about whether these pumps were the right pumps and what we could do to improve them or what might be happening underground that we couldn't see. What were some of the piping best practices that we were or were not seeing? And what could we do? And we just slowly started knocking out some of the uh, the low-hanging fruit and worked on some pretty big projects too, but um, you know, did a lot of really great improvements uh, around that ride. I, I, was, I was very proud of what we were able to do there and, and the group of people that we brought together. And then maybe a little bit bigger picture. I, I had originally thought that I would, I, I took that position by the way, from a from one park to all four parks plus the transportation group. And I really envisioned at one point like growing this big team and I'd have a bunch of reliability engineers working underneath me. But uh, one of the things I'm kind of proud of from that time was that, yeah, I didn't grow. I was still an individual contributor. I was still, uh, you know, a, a party of one going out and doing these things. But I think I got almost every one of our, and we're talking probably 30 to 50 maintenance engineers throughout the parks. I got them all at least spending some of their day thinking about being proactive. With, you know, what could I not worry about today, but look at these trends that Bill was um, you know, pulling up for these rides and attractions. And, and what could I work on that maybe wasn't a big deal last week, but has been for the last year. And I think I got a lot of people thinking about being more proactive just in general. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of at least carving out some time from all those folks to get more proactive with their day-to-day. -day. Even though it wasn't necessarily in their job description, they, they realized the value in getting more proactive. And uh, I think it worked out real well. All right. And what you're talking about here is just really a fantastic example of, of what leadership is really about. I mean, you talked about going out and finding that pump guy, right? It's really the understanding that, I know what these tools are. I, I know how to help people solve problems. You just have to find the right people, right? Mm -hmm. and when you get those people together, the, the leaders, the one that's able to say, all right, guys, here's what we're looking at. Here's what our problems are. Here's what the data is. Tell me why we're seeing this and being able to get those people to come out with that information. Right. And yeah, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this a number of years. It's very rare that you, you find somebody that doesn't want to share, that doesn't want to give you their experience. And that's right. what makes you a better leader down the road as you go, holy smokes, now I understand why not only that pump is struggling, but these three over here on this different area are struggling, right? They're mm -hmm. seeing the same thing because I've learned that. And this poor guy's all by himself. He can't fix that all by himself, right? Yeah. So if we educate other people, there's power to that. All right, so looking at leaders, and, and obviously, you know, you've been doing this for quite some time. You've had to hire some leaders in the past. What are the traits that you look for in a leader when you're hiring somebody? Yeah, um, so when I'm, when I'm looking at leaders and, um, 
you know, hiring folks. I, I, I'm really looking for somebody who, um, I, I, I tend to think of myself this way as well, but looking past status quos, I think that's a big important part of being a good leader. Um, I, I know it's a, it's a trope and we, we joke about it a lot, but, you know, we hear all the time, the, well, we've always done it this way, so um, I guess that's the best way and the right way to do it. But I, I really look for people who are thinking outside the box, we've always done it this way type thing. And uh, so really getting somebody who's outside of that and can um, come to a, a, an approach with uh, a, a, an open mind and being able to um, see other people's perspectives. I know that's a that's a big facilitation um, quality. I learned that a lot when I was facilitating classes. So that that kind of mindset, um, as well as uh, I think maybe more than some of the other engineering disciplines that I've been a part of, I think having good relationship skills is another thing too. Um, we all meet great engineers who can't really put a team together or get a team focused on the right thing or tend to get caught down the rabbit hole. Um, but having the ability to relate to people, um, I I've always felt a good trait was not being afraid to look like you don't know the answers. Um, I've gotten a lot of great conversations started and gotten a lot of good information out of people by asking what some people may have thought were dumb questions. Um, I'm not shy and I, I wouldn't expect somebody that's working for me to be shy about asking a dumb question or even wording a statement they want to make as a question in order to draw some information out of somebody. Um, I've done that before too, where, you know, I, I know what I've kind of wanted to say, but in order to make others feel comfortable or to get the, the information that I want, I may form something in a question. That's something I would look for for an individual um, that, that, that I'd want to be a leader under me. All right, so what I've been going to conferences for years, and, and you know, when I meet somebody new, um, I, and I can remember these conversations like they were yesterday, like meeting Jack Nicholas or, or Ron Moore, right, or Max Smith, uh, the questions I typically ask them are, you know, you've been in this business for a while, but is there a course or a book that you read that really inspired you? Because, you know, I've always wanted to learn more and, and, and try to find out more. So I'm going to ask you that same question. <laughs> um, can you think of something off the top of your head, a, a book or a course you took that really made a difference in your career? Wow. From a, from a leadership perspective, the one book that I always go back to um, was called Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Um, I think it's the full title is maybe Lynchpin. Are you indispensable? Um, and it's something I read in that during that transition in 2012 when I was leaving Disney and starting with the with life cycle in the consulting world. Um, and, and it and it talks about doing and and creating as well as the 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 best concept that I remember from this book and and has really stuck with me is. Uh, the concept of your lizard brain and um, how your lizard brain wants you to stay under the rock, right? And, and don't put yourself out there. Um, and and I, was, I was guilty of that a lot while I was with Disney. I didn't 
pursue a lot of extra um, projects. I had plenty to work on and I, and I enjoyed what I was doing, but I, I, I didn't always put myself out there because there was a fear, a, a fear of failure or a fear of um, not doing or saying the right thing. But once you're aware that that part of your brain exists that makes up crazy scenarios about uh, you know the predator that's just around the corner or the that that terrible event that's going to happen if you if you try this or do this once you're aware of it you you it's it's kind of like unmasking the boogeyman you 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 see it for what it is and that it's just your mind playing a trick on you to keep you under that rock and and what happens if you just stay under the rock well no, nothing you're going to be alive but nothing's going to happen right um, you don't get to experience anything. You don't get to go and do anything. So um, I, I recognized that I needed to get myself out there more and, and stop listening to that part of my brain. And, and um, you know, things like answering a, 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 a request to be on a podcast, um, presenting at a conference, right? Those are things that before I read that book, I would have said no to, right? Like there's quite, what's the point? Like, why would I even bother? Um, you know, I'll probably say something dumb or I'll say something that not everybody in the room agrees with. I'll just stay under my rock and be happy and, um, you know, and, and just listen to what other people are saying. But that's not what we're here for. We're not here to do that. And I didn't benefit from people who did that, right? I benefited a lot from people who said, I'm not going to keep all this to myself. I'm going to put my, I'm going to create that website, you know, it, when websites weren't even that hugely popular, right? I'm going to go to that conference and speak at this uh, so these people can come and listen to me. I benefit a lot from those people. And uh, um, so once I rec read that book um, and, and recognized that um, I, I was maybe destined for something a little better, I, uh, it was it's easy to make a lot of decisions now once you recognize that there's a part of your brain that's really just trying to keep you safe and not letting you put yourself out there well that's a great answer because I, I just wrote that name of that book down so that's one i have it's not read so, amazing uh, it is amazing that that by the way seth godin as an author writes a lot of marketing um and other type non-engineering type material but i find mm -hmm. over and over his books are so applicable to things that we do every day. Uh, he's got podcasts. He's got other things that he does too. But, and an amazing author that writes a lot of good stuff. All right. So kind of on that same subject, what, um, what motivated you to become a leader to begin with? Um, yeah, that's a great. So at Disney, we had this, um, this little formula. I'm going to try to remember this. It's, LMTR was the, 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 there was a leadership plus management LM times technical times relationship equals success LMTR. And it was the first time I ever heard about the differentiation between leaders and managers. Um, and I always saw myself as a leader, right? I mean, I could go back to maybe, high school captain of a, of a soccer team or um, in college leading the study group or organizing the project. Um, 
I, I think I've always been had that a tendency towards being a leader, being conscious about being a leader. Um, I, I would say happened while I was working for life cycle engineering and, and put into positions where I was the expert in the room and, and owning the fact that um, I was, I was in that position for a reason because of what I had learned and, and been trained on and, and knew and accepting it. And saying, yeah, you know what, I'm I'm good enough to lead these people. I um, they deserve this from me. Um, they deserve this. They, they've engaged with us in this way that they deserve for me not to come in here and sit on my hands in the corner, but to be the leader and say, um, you know, this is what we're going to do. Good, I, you know, and, and being honest and transparent with, you know, this is what we need to do. This isn't what we need to do good idea but we're not going to go in that direction um but it, it, i'd say it's unlike maybe a step it's been a slow ramp for me because uh, it wasn't something i particularly went out and sought all along but uh it was something that was kind of as, as i gained more and more experience and and time in the industry found myself leading and people coming to me and saying you know when i joined frito-lay it was we don't know what you know. We need you here now. Please teach us. And getting the chance to go around to 30-plus manufacturing sites and, and walk in and, and lead groups from, you know, training mechanics on the floor about alignment and precision maintenance to sitting in a plant manager's office and talking about whether they'd be able to deliver all the product they need to deliver next month. Um, I think that's what really is being a leader and, and it's all stuff I've really enjoyed. I, I like the technical side. I'm an engineer, right? But I also enjoy the relationship and the leadership side of things. Very good. So finishing out here with one last question. Um, someone once told me you can either be a leader or a manager. What are your thoughts on that statement? Yeah, that goes back to my Disney days, right? Um, I, I'm 100% agree that... Um, that leadership has nothing to do with an org chart or um, anything to do with chain of command. Um, uh, back in the day, you know, as I was just getting out of, of college, my, that helicopter flight simulator, I had to, I was leading installations of, you know, uh, helicopter simulators on naval bases and, um, it goes up and it goes down, right? You you lead up and you lead down. I, I always, um, I forget who may have taught me about leading up, but I thought that was a an amazing opportunity to influence people above you with your leadership skills. Um, and, and that takes place all over the place. Um, so I've always seen, I guess I've always seen myself as a bit of a leader, like I said. Um, management has not always been my thing. Uh, it, it actually wasn't, I've, I've had teams that I've worked on. I've had interns that have reported to me and I've had to be responsible for, um, their day-to-day -day activities, but it really wasn't until this last year that I became a quote unquote manager and had salary direct reports. Um, and 
Um, I, you know, if I were honest with myself, it probably wasn't the, my favorite part of that job. Um, I enjoyed the times that I got to spend with those people and help lead them and, and talk to them about their career or things that we were working on as a group. But yeah, the, the management side of things, I mean, maybe there are people that really, really look forward to that. And that's the best part of their day is being able to manage folks. Um, I'd probably rank that third behind leading people uh, and, and technically helping out folks as well. All right, very good. Well, Bill, it's been great talking to you today. And I've enjoyed uh, it too. We didn't even get to talk about that crazy uh, automated uh, packing machine that we got to work on, but maybe we'll save that for next time. Yeah, we will. And I was just going to say that I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk again in the future. That was really, for me, a, a very fun project because you read about you know the smart machines and their capabilities and and uh, yeah. it was it was quite eye opening. But at the same time, as we sat there and talked about failure modes, we, we went. Yeah, the, the, the machine, by the way, is not going to shut itself off if something's going wrong. It's going to tell you something's wrong, and you have to be able to still respond to that, right? Yeah. So it's uh, that was also a great example of cross-functional teams um, and and really introducing concepts to people who it was completely foreign to. And um, yeah. you know, uh, we we had we were lucky enough to get some really great minds in that room. But the, that whole experience that could be a fun thing to really dig down into and talk about all the things that happened during those couple of weeks. But yeah, that was a, that was a really, uh, that was a really enjoyable time for sure. All right. So it's been great talking to you, Bill. Uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you in the future. Keep me uh, abreast of what's going on with your career. As I said, I'm sure somebody's going to snatch you up in the next week or two here. Um, <laughs> I hope so too. I hope to have yeah. an announcement very soon. All right, Bill. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. This has been Doug Pucknett and the Leadership Connection. We will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.